are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. You're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day are listening to the always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, MillerThomas24, thatmyportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account. Or just look up Locked on Dimebacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. This podcast is not possible without you listening, subscribing, reviewing, sharing, Please continue to do it. The podcast is free and available on all platforms. But for today's show, we got Locked on Red Sox host Lauren Campbell. I think I accidentally said Locked on Red Sox yesterday, but Locked on Red Sox host Lauren Campbell's on the show today. We're going to be discussing the Red Sox postseason, the Mookie Betts trade. How does she feel a couple years later? The Yankees wild card. How are the Red Sox? able to constantly reinvent themselves as a franchise we're discussing all that and more on today's show but first intro drop you are locked on diamondbacks your daily arizona diamondbacks podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day All right, Locked On listeners, we got a special guest for you guys today. We've been doing this little series where we've been doing a therapy chair session for the Locked On hosts who've had their teams knocked out of the playoffs. And today, it's Locked On Red Sox host Lauren Campbell's turn to sit in the chair and just get all her emotions out, talk about basically anything she wants to get off her chest we're going to talk about today. So, Lauren, we are inviting you back on the stream. We had to kick you off a little bit. Lauren, how are you doing today? I am doing wonderful. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. World Series just wrapped up, like, what was it, yesterday? How, did you watch any of that series? Were you into the World Series? Oh, yeah. So baseball is, like, my number one sport. So as long as it wasn't, like, the Yankees and the Astros, or I'm sorry, the Yankees and Dodgers, then it was it was good time. Okay, if it was the Astros, would you? I guess it was the Astros, so never mind. That was going to be a really bad question. <laughs> uh, so the Red Sox, I mean, this was a pretty good season for them. I mean, considering maybe, you know, their expectation levels come into the season, I don't know where you have them. I'll ask you that later in the pod. But you look at this Red Sox team, they're now a couple years removed from that Mookie Betts deal. Betts was pretty good in the postseason, but maybe not as, as good as he was in 2020 or during that World Series run. So, when you look back at that deal, of course, I'm sure it still hurts. When you trade a player like Mookie Betts, it has to hurt. If the D-backs ever traded Ketel Marte, trust me, I will be shedding tears. But 
looking back at it, has it been a little bit more stomachable, if that's even a word? Because Verdugo, he was pretty good in the postseason. Jeter down seems to continue to crush it in the minor leagues. Has that made it a little bit easier to stomach now, a couple years removed from it? Yeah, I think it certainly makes things a bit easier, for maybe lack of a better term. But I think now that we're a full season and not so much like a COVID-shortened season, you know, into this and the Red Sox kind of have seen what they get with the centerpiece in Alex Verdugo, as well as they've seen a lot from Jeter Downs in the minor leagues. And they really like what they see from him. It's no, it's not easy to lose a player like Mookie. I feel like he is somebody who is a lifer on the team. And obviously now he's probably going to end his career with the Dodgers. But at the end of the day, it's, it certainly hurts. I think it's always going to hurt. It'll be 10 years from now. And I'm going to be sitting there just watching Mookie still rake on the Dodgers, like, ah, remember when the Red Sox had him? And But at the end of the day, like I said, I think everyone saw this trade coming um, leading up to it. And the Red Sox went to the ALCS, and they did it without Mookie. So it's, you know, you, you got to take the good with the bad there. Yeah, doing it without Mookie's crazy. Verdugo, he seemed to come through a lot of times in the clutch and high leverage moments. How do you feel about Verdugo? Do you think you could get... 80% of that Mookie Betts production, maybe not defensively. It doesn't seem to have maybe the same power as the Mookie Betts, but overall, he just seems to be a pretty good baseball player. Yeah, overall, he's pretty good. I think that he's also still young, so I mm-hmm. think there's still more to reach. I don't think he's tapped into his full potential yet, but I like what I've seen overall. Um, definitely would like some some room for improvement on both defense and offense, but that time will come. Like I said, he's young. Um 80% of what Mookie can do, I think that's generous, maybe more like 70. So not, not too, too far off, but you know, like I don't want to go so far like saying like 60, 40 or 65, but I do think more like the 70 range, I think. But no one is ever going to be Mookie. No one's ever going to, you know, replace Mookie. Um, there's never going to be another Mookie bets in the, uh, in the in MLB. But um, I think, you know, Verdugo has shown flashes of what he can bring. And it's just a matter of continuing that and being consistent. Yeah, I think that had to be the most shocking part is because everyone just felt like Mookie Betts was a lifer from his play to just being a culture guy. It was like, why are the Red Sox trading this kind of player, especially to a team like the L.A. Dodgers? Those two teams just seem to love making blockbuster deals. I remember that one deal a few a while ago now where it was like the biggest uh, swap of money in MLB history. So those two teams love making deals. I like Verdugo, though, even though he might only be 70 percent. Mookie Betts offensively he seems to be another great locker room guy the players seem to love him so I'm high on a Verdugo and if uh, Jeter Downs can pan out because the way he's playing right now in the postseason or not the postseason the minor leagues and the fall league he seems like he could be the real deal so if he's a potential all-star with 70% Mookie Betts the Red Sox might end up winning that deal which is crazy to say now we still gotta give it some time but in a few years we might look back and be like you know what maybe the Red Sox actually won that deal and Heading into this season, the expectation levels, where did you have the expectation levels for the Red Sox? Because I actually made a bet with one of my friends. I was like, the Red Sox are going to be a top five run scoring team in the American League. Like they got boppers up and down their lineup. And that turned out to be true. But I also felt like this team was going to be like around 500 just because I was like, after Evaldi, they have absolutely no starting pitching. And that kind of turned out to be true, but it really didn't matter. This team just smashed their way to 90-plus wins, and they made the postseason. Where was your expectation level at for this team entering the year? So I pegged them at 90 wins, which wasn't all that far off. Um, I expected them to be 
or get into the ALDS. I thought they would not get out of the ALDS. So overall, I mean, this was such a fun season. I think that Red Sox fans should be, I mean, we're not going to be satisfied unless they win the World Series, but given where they were, they were pegged to be the fourth in the AL East. They were not even supposed to make the playoffs. They weren't supposed to beat the Yankees. They were not supposed to beat the Rays. They were supposed to get swept by Houston. And they really kind of just showed how resilient they were throughout this season. And I mean, it was just, after Ovaldi, like you said, there wasn't really a whole lot of trust in those pitchers, but you're throwing Garrett Richards in the bullpen and he looks fantastic. Nick Pavetta was a pleasant surprise. Um, Overall, very surprised. I still had a lot of faith in this team because of the offense, and that's why I went the 90-win route. Um, like I said, I was not expecting them to get to the ALCS, but it's always little little stings when it ends, but it's still it was a wild, fun ride. Lauren and I will continue talking about the Red Sox and that wild card matchup against the Yankees, but this episode is brought to you by Ben Online because we're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Ben Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKDOWN to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball postseason, NHL boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. Pod. Yeah, this has to be like one of the rare instances where you're not totally upset when your team gets knocked out the postseason because just the fact that they made it to the ALCS and they were two games away from winning, like when you were entering the playoffs and you're like, all right, we somehow made it here. This Red Sox team with absolutely no pitching and only offense. We somehow made it here. We're going against the Yankees. Entering the postseason, we're like, all right, this is our World Series. We're probably going to get swept by the Rays. Whatever happens, happens. But if we beat the Yankees, I'm happy. That's going to be our championship heading into the offseason. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, too, with the with the Yankees, how strong their trade deadline was. All of a mm-hmm. sudden, people were wondering, are the Yankees going to win the AL East now? And they started to come back down to earth, probably at the worst time that they could have done that. And they were, I mean, the Red Sox were not the favorites going into the wild card. They weren't the favorites going into the ALDS. Even me, I had the Rays, I mean, I had the Rays winning in five. I had the Astros winning in six. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of faith around this Red Sox team, but it wasn't because they're not good. It's because of the teams they're playing. But overall, it was just, I mean, you look at the teams they went against and on paper, the Red Sox should have lost in the wild card. Yeah, on paper, they probably should have. I mean, that Yankees lineup is pretty good up and down, but they just seem pretty reliant on the home run. That's just a lot harder to get in the postseason, even though the Red Sox seem to get it repeatedly, uh, at least until the last two games against the Houston Astros. Uh, When you were going against the Yankees, what did you root for more? Because I do think there's a distinction between these two. Did you want more for the Red Sox to beat the Yankees, or were you rooting more for the Yankees to lose to the Red Sox? Uh, Definitely for the Red Sox to beat the Yankees. It's always a lot of fun watching these two teams battle it out. It's a lot more fun with a lot on the line. And when these two teams are good, 
it's just, it makes it for a very entertaining game, but there is just, there's something about watching the Red Sox beat the Yankees. Maybe it's just like the lifelong Red Sox fan of me. And I've been covering this team now for seven years where it's just like, it doesn't get, I mean, it's, it's so good every time it doesn't get <laughs> any better. It's just like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you're, you know, you're from Boston, you're a Red Sox fan. It's, it's great watching the Red Sox win. It's great watching them win against their, their ace pitcher. It's great watching them put up all these runs against a really stacked team. And it's just something that makes you kind of sit back and be like, hmm, like maybe High and Bloom had something up his sleeve the whole time at this trade deadline because it didn't really help the Yankees in the long run. Yeah, when you look at that trade deadline, were you upset the Red Sox didn't make more moves because the Yankees, they went out there and they got two bats I felt like were just luxuries for them. I felt like they didn't need a Joey Gallo. The outfield was already their strength. And I was like, all right, let's just add more to the strength. I like the Anthony Rizzo move because they they needed an upgrade at first base. They were able to get that. Uh, People probably want them to get more starting pitching, but still they added basically two all-stars to their lineup while the Red Sox added a nice player in Kyle Schwarber. But I think everyone was like, hey, the Red Sox need starting pitching, and they didn't go out there and get that. So how did you feel about the Red Sox deadline, especially comparing it to the Yankees? I was really annoyed because there were – I mean, Anthony Rizzo was in play for the Red Sox. He was right there and ended up working out well with Bobby Delbeck in the long run, but – they really, really needed to address their pitching, and they went out and got Hansel Robles and Austin Davis, two relief pitchers who are not, who are proven to be unreliable. And I'm sitting there, I was like, "What are you doing?" And it was, you know, I love Kyle Schwarber. I think he's a fantastic ball player. His bat is, you know, we, we, Red Sox fans saw it this year. But I was like, it's not that I don't want Kyle Schwarber. I, there was just no place for him, and I was mm-hmm. like, this almost seems like a move where. They just wanted a big bat. Oh, he's hurt, but we'll try him at first base, a position he's never played before, a position Christian Arroyo never played before. It nearly ripped his hamstring clean off trying to make a play there. So definitely I was feeling a little irked just because there it was there was more there to be done. Um, and, you know, I was thinking too, like, it's going to be a, a loaded free agent class. So maybe Haim Bloom's just sitting back and being like, we're just going to spend some money in the in the offseason, figure out you know what J.D. Martinez is going to do and go from there. Like there was no sense in, I guess, going out and getting a quote-unquote big-name pitcher if it's going to be for a rental. Yeah, do you feel like the front office was like, look, this team is competing at a high level. They're playing above their probably water weight right now, but this team is not really a true World Series contender. Do you think the front office foresaw that? That's a reason why they didn't make any all-in moves like a Yankees team who feels like it's championship or bust for them? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, they were confident in the people they brought in. They were confident in their roster and also in Alex Cora. I think they really wanted to kind of see what he had there. And like I said, that this free agent class coming up, it's it's stacked. And it has the potential to get even more stacked with the opt-outs coming, which really could come between now and any time Sunday. So I think at the end of the day, they didn't want to give away too much for a rental. They love this long-term stability thing because when High and Bloom was hired, the Red Sox didn't really have too much of a farm system because Dave Dombrowski blew it all up, which mm-hmm. that's exactly what he was brought in here to do. So, <laughs> so that's what everyone knew that's what he was going to do. So it's been like a slow rebuild of the farm system. They want to commit to that with the free agent class coming up and then the uncertainty of J.D. Martinez because if J.D. Martinez opts out, you all of a sudden, you have a lot more money to spend. So I think there was a lot of what-ifs, a lot of like, let's be competitive in 2022 and beyond and just kind of get through the rest of this year with what we have.
I don't know. I don't even know how to like describe the Red Sox over the last 10 years because I feel like dysfunctional is not the right word, but they're somehow like dysfunctionally functional because they will go with a Dave Dombrowski to blow everything up and end up, you know, being, I think they won a world series under Dave Dombrowski. Yep. So they'll do that. They'll blow up the farm system and everything, but then they'll be like, all right, complete 180. Now we want to bring in another guy, a different guy where basically a whole different philosophy. We're going to yep. rebuild the farm system. And then we're still going to be in contention teams away from the world series. Like how do you explain this team? That's, always able to reinvent themselves constantly and somehow they're always able to replenish that farm system and build within as well that's something the yankees have never been able to do it's something that i give high respect to the dodgers because even though they go out there and pay a lot of players like a yankees like the red sox they are also able to build from within so how are the red sox consistently able to just keep reinventing themselves because i remember those bobby valentine years and those were not very oh god <laughs> just unlock some bad memories there <laughs> yeah. but it, i think it speaks to the the front office i think it speaks to you know alex Cora too i think in particular um you know in 2013 under john farrell you had this random group of ball players that seemed like you know the johnny gomes the mike napolis where yeah. They're not, I mean, they're stars in their own way, but they're not like, they're not a Mookie Betts. They're not a Mike Trout or something, someone like that. And it was just a bunch of guys that were just really good at baseball. Really just like, they took to who they were. They took to what they were good at and capitalized on their strengths. And the Red Sox have always been able to do that. Like kind of the next man up almost mentality. But to be able to just come in here, start to replenish the farm system, not really kind of going to like a huge like rebuild or blowing up the team that we've seen, not just in MLB, but throughout NFL, NBA, uh, NHL. So it's just like constant, not like, they just have really good chemistry too. And you've had Xander Bogarts around for 20, since what, 2013? Yeah, and, a while now. And you've had Raphael Devers now for four or five years. So you get like these veteran guys and then you bring in veteran leaders like the Kyle Schwarber veteran guy JD Martinez when you brought him in another veteran guy who was just they know their way around they know how to lead they know when to kind of step back and they know when to help so when you bring in that kind of personality it's not somebody who's trying to be the star it just makes the team mesh better and somehow the Red Sox have been able to do this probably since like 2004 when they start winning championships again yeah, I think the clubhouse is probably the biggest indication for the Red Sox during the years when they're going to be good. When they have a manager they like and when that when they have just like the right mix of teammates gelling, when when they're eating fried chicken and beer in the dugout, that's when this <laughs> team is not working. But exactly. when, when you guys got when you have an Alex Cora and a JD Martinez and a Mookie Betts, the list goes on and on. Though though that's when those Red Sox teams are good and there's enough argument for David Ortiz, there's enough reasons why he should be in the Hall of Fame. But if you need another one, I know I don't have to tell you this, but for the listeners out there, just go look at those 2013 World Series stats. I oh, think yeah. I think he bad like 688 in that World Series. Like the man was unconscious. They say one person can't carry a team in baseball. He might have been the only guy to carry a baseball team through a whole series with what he did offensively in that series. Absolutely insane. So Red Sox, they take down the villains, the Yankees, their rivals. Boston's throwing a parade, basically. Like, we beat the Yankees. Yeah. I was watching those post games. Like, Boston was going crazy in the streets. Like, were you around that at any point? Were you were you at the rallies, maybe? Uh, I was not. No? Okay. I was not. I'm not a big crowd person, which is funny for somebody who loves going to, like, ball games and obviously covers the Boston sports teams. I'm not a big, like, when the crowds are so forced like that and, like, there's almost no way out, I do not like that. I'm just like, nope, that's that's too much for me. I can't blame you. It's probably 
accelerated the anxiety there over the yeah. whole, <laughs> what we've seen the last couple of years. So we'll leave that topic alone. But okay, so the Red Sox, they beat the Yankees, they take down the villains. But now here comes a matchup against the best team in the American League in the Tampa Bay Rays coming off their best franchise record. Like it, it felt like the Red Sox won their World Series. And now it's like, all right, we're just happy to be here. Like just blow the doors off us, Tampa Bay. Like we don't care. You can send us home into a nice offseason. We're going to be drinking champagne on the Yankees dime. It's OK. But the Red Sox, they ended up not just winning that series. They kind of dominated Tampa Bay. Like, when you look at that series, do you think the Rays were playing more out of character and just trying to do too much when they're starting, like, bullpen guys to start the game, doing that whole weird philosophy, then let's bring in our rookie pitcher later in the game and do all this? Or do you think the Red Sox were just playing more to their strengths and they just got hot at the right time? You know, I think it's a little of both. I think the Rays got a little cocky. And mm-hmm. I mean, rightfully so, when you're pegged as the favorite, you're the better team and you've taken care of this team with ease through the regular season. So I think they got a little cocky, but I also think the Red Sox were very motivated. They had all the momentum on their side after beating the Yankees and just kind of riding that, even though they were starting the series on the road. And probably also helped that Tampa Bay and the Trop, they have tons of Red Sox fans. Red Sox fans travel really well down there. So that probably helped a little bit in like the, it's not Yankee Stadium where it's constant booing and Red Sox suck chants and anything else. But, you know, I think once the, once I saw, was it Randy Rosarena and Nelson Cruz eating the popcorn in the dugout, just kind of acting like, <laughs> oh, like I have no worries in the world. I was like, oh no, like we <laughs> see this every year. We see like this kind of turning point. And I think they just got a bit too comfortable. I think they were they thought that this is going to be just like the regular season and forgot that regular season stats don't mean a darn thing when it comes to the postseason because it's a fresh slate for everybody. And the Red Sox certainly proved that for quite a few quite a few games, even against the Astros. Oh, yeah. that the, Those players eating popcorn is basically reminiscent of Aaron Judge after, what, game two, coming out the boombox playing yes. little New York, New York. Like, you got to wait till the series at least ends. Yes. You can't come in after one win and be like, all right, let's play music in front of the other team and just start showing off. Like, you can't do that. You got to have a little pride and respect for the opponent and at least wait for the series to be over before you start mocking them. So I guess Tampa Bay deserved what they got there. And I just oh, – Overall, I just hate most of their philosophies and their game plans. Like, of course, it works in the regular season. They pile up the wins, but it's just not a style of play that I would be a personal fan of. Like, I'm glad this is not the Lockdown Rays podcast because I feel like that would be kind of frustrating to watch every day. Uh, so I'm glad I'm doing the D-backs, but uh, I would definitely take the the Rays record despite uh, yes. the, <laughs> their style of play. That's it for this edition of the Lockdown Diamondbacks podcast. Thank you to everyone for tuning in today and making Locked On Dimebacks your first listen every day. We'll be back with part two tomorrow, continuing to talk to Lauren about the Houston Astros series. How far is this team from a World Series? Talk about the offseason, pending free agents. So still a whole bunch to talk about. But go make your second listen, Locked On MLB with Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call him Sully. And of course, you got to come back for the best Dimebacks news coverage and insight on the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. And for me, if you can just please try your best out there to just stay safe and stay healthy the best you can. Deuces!